Howdy dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld podcast. Today, I got to talk to Ptolemy Slocum. He plays Sylvester on Westworld, and he is an improviser, and he is a teacher, and he was wonderful. I loved talking to him. It was great. James, sadly, was asleep during the interview in Japan, but that's because Japan and America are far away. That's not his fault. But he, uh, you know, we, we, we put together this interview for Ptolemy, and then I basically didn't use any of it because we just had a great conversation about a bunch of things, uh, most of which I, I didn't write down previously, but it didn't even matter. It was so good. I liked it so much. Anywho, I won't waste your time anymore. Uh, here, here, here's this. Uh, okay. I'll say this first paragraph now. <clears throat> okay. Good luck with this first paragraph. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Hello and welcome one and all to a very special episode. I love special episodes of things of the Westworld podcast. It's made that way by our first ever special guest who started the Nerdist Theater, is an improv teacher, is Sylvester on Westworld, is a teacher at the Ruby LA Feminist Inclusive Comedy Theater, something that is new three weeks ago happened and there's nothing else like it. And you're here and that's very nice of you. Ptolemy Slocum. Oh, hello. That's where I come in. That is... Is where you come in. You did a, a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed quiet that entire paragraph, which we all very, which we all appreciate. But you could have done that's anything. Big. You, it is, that is big. It, it is big. That's you, asking a lot of me. You could have done anything, and I would have been like, yeah, fine, that's good. Yeah. Check. Uh, check. Tell me. Check. Check mark. Yes. Agreed. All right. <laughs> so since I learned that I was doing this. I've been researching, and I, so I've listened to a lot of podcasts you've been on for the past few days. Oh, interesting. And uh, just so I didn't ask any of the same questions over again, which I didn't succeed on, so don't worry about that. They're all going to be the same. But, so far, this is new. This this idea of other podcasts is new, so you're in, you're in uncharted territory. Oh, well, that's good. I, I feel weird because I feel like I know like a podcast version of you, but yeah. but not the real version of you. But that's all I, you know, that, that was all that was available to me. But something that it did do was that after listening to you on a lot of podcasts, I, I found a, a common theme, which was you always sort of talked about the human condition. And oh boy. yeah. And so like, <laughs> while listening to your podcast throughout the week, it like made me think about my own life. In a weird way, oh, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, okay. you had tripped me. To be clear, those podcasts had no intention of getting me to talk about life and existentialism, and now you're opening with that. Yeah, you, it's uh, we're gonna go like we're gonna start right there. I, it's better to start like, hey, where's your weird name from? Does anybody ever ask you about your weird name? And then I'll tell you about your life. You know. So, but this is uh. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, later I will I will try to blow over the weird name in like in like 30 seconds so I don't ask the same <laughs> question twice. But more so than that, like and and I'm, let me just I'm going to paint you a, a picture real quick of this past 3 days of my life where I'm oh. listening I'm listening to all these podcasts. You're wonderful on them. Great job. Oh, thank you. And you're kind of talking about how you you going to get into all the time like we're tiny specks, but that makes it better, uh, which is the, what I took away from it. I don't know if I'm incorrect. You could tell me if I'm incorrect. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, no, you're a tiny speck. You're, you're a tiny speck. Yeah. God, thank you so much. That's yeah. – oh, thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm in Connecticut right now. I, I do one of many Westworld podcasts with, with, like, five people who love it dearly, and we love them. And, and I do it with my friend in Japan as a way to, like, 
you know, like keep up a friendship, but also like attention's great. It's kind of the same thing. And I'm also like this weird comedy nerd in the way that a comedy nerd can be one more the it's more so like I'm an internet addict and I watch comedy a lot. So Yeah. And and you have informed all of that within the past four days unknowingly because mm. and caused me to like self self validate in a way. So I appre- huh. I appreciate that. Great. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we can go into the therapy thing uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you want. Uh, yeah, basically, although I will say this, and this is the, this is the level to which I enjoy talking anyways, as you're aware, but just keep this in mind. Cause you said an interesting thing at the beginning of this, which is, I don't know you. Right. Uh, right. Cause you listen to me on podcasts. Right. So you actually don't know me. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. You know yourself and you're getting to know yourself. But one thing you do know that I like to to talk about on a certain like level. But I will say this about anyone that you learn from. Uh, keep this in mind. No one can teach you anything from the outside. Mm-hmm. Anything that anyone says, that is a process of you deciding that it's valuable and taking it past your defenses and doing something with it. So after all of this, one major mistake not to make is to glorify people that teach you things. Because in in reality, you've taught yourself anything. So it, it is a process like it's possible that I have helped you in some aspect of, you know, your journey. But that's you. Yeah. So don't give me credit for that. If you didn't pay attention and if you weren't at a point where you could take things in, none of that would have mattered. So this is this is you va- ultimately validating yourself, right? You were but a vessel, and my validation, or I, right. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back. I guess good job, me. Yeah. If I, you know, if I take it in and then and then use yeah, it, perhaps we <laughs> that thing where it's like, oh, that person is great because they make me feel something or whatever. It's like, no, you are great. You, this person just like has it's it's a resonance, but then don't attach to that outside person. You you are the greatness. Wow, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, it does. It does. So uh, we can we can go on to to something else. Uh, I warned you not to start with this. I, I no no no. I I I needed to start with this because I've been oh, go I've, I've been going through it for like three days. I was like we I gotta I gotta paint this picture right before we get. Yeah, into I mean I will talk about anything. Um, uh, you know, and, and any of the things that you had questioned about on the other podcasts. You know, I think about this stuff a lot. Uh, I just want to make sure at the end of the day. It's not about me, you right? Know? Like it has to be about your journey, right? I, and I think we'll—I'm going to circle back to that because okay, I, I think it will—it will make sense in context when we kind of get to the end of my version of your journey. But you—you uh, <laughs> <laughs> you recently were at the season two premiere of Westworld. Yes. Okay, I've never been to a premiere. I, I, paint me a picture of what the, what is the vibe of a of a premiere like that and i don't know if you've been to any premiere like that yeah that's a really good question um you know i have been to the first season premiere right uh the premieres are uh it there's a you know this like i don't know if i should i don't know i'm not gonna i'm I'm gonna attempt not to be incredibly negative in terms of like the description but there is a a lot of um pageantry uh, pageantry good term it's a bloated sense of pageantry right yep um and the bloated was is the negative part but it's big um and this one was incredible and i so basically you get a 
um, a wardrobe stylist person comes right. to your house. Oh, okay. Like four days, three days beforehand Intrusive. and brings a okay. small shop. Yep. And then you have to try on a bunch of suits. Uh, is this the part you're interested in? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, and, uh, she's great. You basically play dress up and her job is to play dress up every day. She's a great person and a bunch of different colors. And then, you know, your wife approves it. Your children make fun of you. Right. And um, and then so now you have your suit and then that's taken away to be tailored for a few days. The day of um, your uh, your groomer, it's called grooming, comes over, mostly works on my wife and then, you know, <laughs> does because uh, <laughs> we know her. Um, but anyways, then because guys don't take as much time. So but then like does some. Um, uh, they basically kind of trim your beard so that it looks like you did not trim your beard. You know, like everything's supposed to look like you didn't do anything. It's very, yeah. it's very meticulously uh, anti-meticulous. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and so th- that all starts at 3 p.m. the day of, roughly, okay. only because I'm not a female. If this, w- I'm sure uh, the ladies start before this. Um. So at 3 p.m. she comes over and the grooming process begins at 5 p.m. Uh, the suit shows back up. Um, and uh, so Dolly has the suit. Then we put the suit on. We're supposed to leave at 530. Of course, we don't leave till 545. There's a, a limo there uh, with a very tall limo driver oh. uh, named Theodore uh, who's bigger than his car. And it's awkward because he moves the seat too far up. And then he's like all cramped in there. It's like, come on, just move back. <laughs> don't. I don't, I don't want to feel bad for you. Yeah, uh, but he's great. Uh, or he was great. And so now, so that car is assigned to you all night. Oh, okay. So on these events, you get a car, uh, it shows up to your house too early. Cause then you feel this pressure and then they're like, we're just waiting outside. And it's just weird that there's someone waiting outside for yeah. like a- almost an hour sometimes. So, um, and then when we're at the event, they're just parked nearby and you, you can like text them or whatever, but they, they have to like. Yeah, uh, entertain themselves and then the after party was literally three blocks away although it was cold enough that we took it and then you know we had some pas and stuff that we ran into so we we took the whole car but in between sometimes they just they won't see you again for like five hours but they sit there the entire time so it's kind of a i don't know it's a fascinating uh humanity thing is this all what you're looking for yeah a million percent i sort of hope that all the drivers hang out with each other or at least kind of look at each other next to them like yeah we're i am also here well theodore has taken up uh uh guitar so he has a small guitar and he plays it i guess in his car uh that is so humanizing it's insane (laughs) yeah uh I, i like theodore uh anyways uh so uh, so that now you get there, you get out of the car kind of in front of all this stuff and then you forget that you're going to be around a billion people and then, uh, you suddenly like try to remember not to sweat. Um, and then you're in just a bunch of fancy looking people at the front end of this funnel and the funnel is what's called the carpet. Uh, this carpet was pretty long. Um, and so then I meet with a, uh, HBO rep named Alex who was amazing HBO actually uh does an excellent job because they they represent you at a time period so that you uh so that your process through this line is facilitated and it goes smoothly and there's communication so he'll he'll be the person that goes ahead of me and finds out where I'm going next in the line so he was super super great 
Um, and I'm, but a lot, some networks don't do that. You just have to like wander down a line and you have no idea like what's going to happen to you. So you got a body man like the president does. Uh, is that, I think I didn't get secret service, right? No, no, I'm talking like Dulé Hill in in Westmore. Alex uh, would have watched it enter my body. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not the level of like body man that I got. Um, but he did help me. I'm talking like Dulé Hill in the West Wing. Oh yes. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, okay. So (laughs) now you enter, now you have to like wait for timing and it's kind of like almost like that hopscotch thing because there'll be somebody that starts down the path and gets like chewed up before you. It's kind of like a big intestinal tube. Yeah. Like a straight, long red shaped intestinal tube. Right. Right. And so someone goes in front of you and then you have to like see who's going next and you kind of slot in and then you start the path. At the beginning of the path is all of the photographers. It is a mass of photographers, and they basically their whole life is like scraping images from the world and then selling it. Uh, you know, it's it it engenders a type of person that doesn't engage whole people on the other side of the lens. Right. right? You're a future picture, not a person. Yes, and they do behave often in that manner toward their subjects so it is like you are here to serve me this kind of yelling thing like here uh and then you have to kind of engage with like each lens but they will tell you where to move like there is no there's no joy there's no like kindness we're not like connecting as humans it is dark right it it feels like it it just a stuff you have to do willingly like obviously because it's it's a it's a great job but stuff you have to do and you'd rather not be doing and then at the end the prize is you get to hang out with all your friends and watch something that's really fun yes you jumped ahead a lot so uh sorry yeah (laughs) because after that is a bunch of um videos video villages kind of uh people with cameras and talking to them is great you do little interviews you uh people quote you in ways that you're embarrassed by later right uh there's like a the hollywood reporter was just a guy named kevin i believe but he had no one with him he was just standing in the middle and he was just like i'm kevin i was like what what does that mean uh but he was the hollywood reporter and i was talking too openly with him and now i'm quoted in there but that's okay um but yeah that it's really great after that first section the first section is is kind of dark and then you move along and you talk to italy you talk to hbo lat latino you talk to hbo china it's great um and then after that you go inside they have a they have mountains of popcorn uh sodas uh you see everybody everybody's like beautiful you can barely recognize them uh and it's really like that show is full of super intelligent really good-hearted uh great people so it's kind of a thrill I can't tell. I, I've never. I've. I've not. I've been to other premieres and I've been on other shows. I just don't. I just haven't felt like this before. I maybe I'm not experienced enough, but man, everyone's so great on that show. Did it have a different vibe from the season one premiere? It wasn't as. Uh, it felt more familial. It wasn't as. Um, yeah, the, the season one premiere seemed like we were uh, at a formal event that nobody owned or controlled, whereas the second one felt more like uh, personal, I guess. Yeah, making a home in a place that's not a home, but yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, you have to keep in mind the first 
season of this uh, took two years to make. Right. And Sorry. there was a lot of tension. Uh, it's about to launch into the world. And it's like this. Would, there was a lot of investment in this. Is, and we didn't we had no idea if it was going to be a thing or what it was. So there was there was there was kind of that that tension of like, I, we think this is awesome, but who knows what the world will think. And the second one, it it doesn't I don't feel this sense of like ego with the show. There's the show's like too much work. Uh, and I would tell you, I'm you know me, I'm the type of person that would tell you. <laughs> um, but it is more like there is a happiness. There's like a like a exhaustion, but it is it, it's the work. Like we work on the work. We don't I don't find very many people egotistical there. No, because the job is is both challenging and rewarding. So wanting to do the job makes sense to me. You said I've met, you've mentioned in the past that getting Sylvester was an audition and then no callback. And then you just got it. And then as you mentioned yeah. previously, it was followed by that two year season with that. had a hiatus in the middle of it, starting back in 2014, going to 2016. Didn't really know exactly what it was going to be as the first season was airing. Was it all just still fear or was that quelled at any point? Fear for me personally or fear for the show? Uh, I guess the show, not not for you personally. I, I was thrilled by the show. I mean, I didn't know the show. I I only read my scene, so I was watching it. I uh, I got a separate handle on Reddit, uh, and I would participate in, like, I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. It was kind of thrilling, and I loved it, and I loved all the theories. I didn't know any of the theories, uh, and so... I, it was really it seemed like it took off way faster than anybody expected oh, in this the, day and age. The pilot was immediately good. I, I cuz I remember we picked up doing this podcast cuz you know the idea was like it's a new HBO show if it does very well we want to have we want to talk about it. And then but I went into that first episode thinking like I I hope it's good. And then you got to the end of it and I was like, "Oh, of course it's good." Of course and and like feeling like kind of cheapened like not not of course not of course. It didn't have to be, but it was. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way. I mean, I didn't know that much about the show. I really felt like this. they made scenes where everyone was moving in the scenes. The scenes themselves, when it comes down to the work, I really appreciated the work, and I thought that it could be an excellent show. I didn't know anything else about the rest of the show. But, you know, in America, these TV things, they get very overwrought. And so spending this much money with these many names, with this, with that much time, that doesn't mean anything. That could just mean that you're overly bloated or it could mean that you have a core of, of knowledge and wisdom and a message that you want to get across and you care about how you're done. So it could have been – I think it could have been a bad show given all the, the, the logistics of it. But it was a show that had a heart to it, a purpose at the core of it and that changes everything. Speaking of the core of the show, I have to bring up uh, Jonah Nolan and and Lisa Joy, who I always like watching them. They, I always like they always seem so genuine. And again, I don't know them. I only know a video version of them, but they always seem like they really care about what they're doing. And so I, I guess you said recently you said that you kind of are acting in a vacuum. You have your script. You really don't know. I guess my question is how. How often are, are Jonah and Lisa like next to you while you're doing things there? Or is it just the hand in the hands of directors at that point that they've instilled confidence in? Uh, yeah, I mean, the show has at least for season two, the show expands out so that you you do have other people that that feel a little bit like they have um, the whole 
idea, the whole world in mind. And so there is people next to you. Um, what we'll do sometimes is we'll have a read through. It won't be a table read. Uh, it'll be a read through of like scenes or a section, right? Mm -hmm. But what you use that for is like Jonah will be there or Lisa will, it's sometimes much more rare to get them both because they're always, they, they almost, they, they are always like assigned somewhere. It feels very like middle earthy. Like there's two wizards and they have to be like working on one thing or the <laughs> right. other, but so the, you'll get people in that room that can answer questions and then. And it'll be every second episode sometimes, depending on what's going on, right? So, like, for major sections, uh, it'll be a bigger meeting. In that meeting, you ask everything. So, it's like, here, here it is. Now, what do you want to know? And so, now, then we get a lot of, like, questions in. Just the core of it, they'll open it up. Sometimes there isn't stuff. But, you know, you can get into philosophy there. You can get into uh, character stuff. And so, that'll be a session. Uh, I remember for um shogun world we walked the set we went over like the concept the t the feel of it the world itself uh where where the background of this you know so we get a big session in there uh and then jonah or lisa will be on set every you know depending on what it is like every once in a while uh he loves being on set uh and this is why they want to they they ideally would have three phases of the show where they write the show and they finish writing it and then they shoot the show and finish shooting it and then they edit the show. Right. In a perfect world. Right. Because they are very hands on in all of it. But this one was still kind of building while it was building. So, it, you know, like I ideally I, I know that they would want to be there, but we feel pretty there's a lot of questions that that they won't even answer uh, because they don't want to answer that like right. there's stuff that we should not know as part of the process so there's a lot of confusion as a part of as part of the nature of that show but it's you know they let you know enough and then i really feel like i like not knowing the rest do you know if uh if season you might not know but if season two was similar to season one where like you just said they were writing uh, while shooting were that while shooting were they writing the whole time um they were still working on writing they had they had, you know, they started shooting at the very beginning on elements from one to ten. So they, you know, they know exactly what's right. happening. Uh, but while it's still ha going on, as they prep for things, you know, like they they change elements and things evolve. It's a it's a living show uh, the entire time it's shot, and it is a wild experience. Uh, kind of to to get down to. Sylvester, the character that you play, and kind of characters you've played overall for the past... How many years have you been acting? That's a good question. Um, I think 15... 2006 was like the first time I got cast in something, I think. So right. 12? But, but you, I've been trying. You were in New York in 2001, 2000, something like that, right? Uh, came to 1999. Right after... Did you go California, Washington, New York, or was it different? Yep. Okay. California, Cincinnati was my last two years of high school. Oh, okay. And then I was in D.C. Uh, for college, and then we went up to New York. Okay. And then... So, I, 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 I'm away from the question where I started, but... Because my, my point was that your characters in a lot of the things I've watched you in have very interesting, like near death slash death experiences. Yeah, uh, it's true. I, okay. So 
I didn't remember Fringe, or I watched Fringe Bay back when, but I just I didn't remember a lot of it. And then I, as I was researching this, I, I was pointed to a clip that was terrifying. It was it was your uh, character and butterfly. yeah, the butterfly attack. Yeah. Uh, and if no one has seen it, you should w- stop this and go watch it and then come back here and then talk about how yeah, it's great. terrifying it's it on the internet. Uh, it's like Butterfly's Fringe. It's a great. So let me say a couple things about that scene. Um, that episode was directed by Fred Toy. And he would come um, back in your life. Yeah. And uh, Fred is when I said that there are more people on set that you feel like you you can ask and it takes care of like the big picture. It uh, especially this year. Uh, Fred seemed to be like really, really helpful. Like he has, I, and I think he, you know, he took on more of an executive production, but he was also directing and, but he was, uh, he was around a lot and would really like help us. Uh, and then Richard is around like these, these are people, um, beyond just Jonah and Lisa that, uh, can, can like answer for the whole. And he's, and I met him way back then on that episode which is wild because he was directing that episode of fringe the the special effects guy on set there is named jay worth and he is now the special effects supervisor on uh this show you know like these are people that and that's the thing about this industry which i don't think it's this industry i think it's life itself is like um you are who you like don't you don't you can't write off anything the way you relate to people, like you, you have to be uh, a great person because all of these people, we're all trying, you know, we're all moving in the same direction. And it's not just about Hollywood. It's about your life. Like you must be good to people. You must be at your best at all times because it's not just now it's, it, these are things that you're, these are relationships you're planning for the rest of your life without even knowing it. I feel like that's something that I hear a lot of people who have done improv for a long time say, because improv to me feels like the minor leagues of comedy. Like somebody was like one day, like we have to create a minor league for comedy so that we can train people to get to the majors one day. And when I hear people talk about improv, it's a lot of like, yeah, I know these people because I've been performing with them since for 15 years. Can you, can you, uh, I I know uh, you, you taught at UCB and uh, the pit I also saw you like you had a credit as like a camera operator on an improv everywhere sketch. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was Bono in improv everywhere. OK. Yeah. Remember that on the roof? Yeah. I like I, oh, OK. I, I so Charlie, I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked with them as much as I could uh, either behind the scenes or uh, in front of the scenes. But I just I really like his project and it was always great. Because I remember back in, I was like 2006, and my thoughts were like maybe moving to New York. And it was because of improv everywhere and uh, in college humor and, and UCB and that kind of stuff. But I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that. But most likely, like, it, it's, I just, I like hearing, or at least I like hearing interviews of people who have done improv for a long time because it's, they always attribute it to the people and, and and then a lot of them get to L.A. and they know a bunch of people already. Yeah, it's intriguing to me. I just to let you know, uh, I've been in the improv world for 23 years. I mean, I did it in college. 
And it's intriguing to watch now because it basically was what you're saying. It was the minor leagues and it was this feeling of like, hey, we deserve to be seen too. Like we're trying hard. And I remember when we started, you know, myself and Rob Hubel started getting commercials and it was like, is that possible? Because <laughs> uh, we weren't actors, actors. We were performers. And then some people in um, in the improv world started getting commercials. And that was like, it was it changed everything kind of it felt like that sort of but um the it, it's intriguing now to see a world in which the pathway to the what you're calling the the major leagues or the big leagues sure um did and has definitely gone through improv since then when it was considered a minor league then it was considered a uh, it was like a proving ground right but now we we have this world in which I feel like improv is contracting in America and it, the process to the major leagues as perceived by younger people is through social media, through uh, video. And it's going to be interesting to see what that does to a feeling of community when coming up through something. Yeah. Uh, it's going to change, you know, people's relationship to each other and the world. It stands, yeah, it stands to reason that a 13 year old would look at, would look at like if they're, they're trying to make a blueprint for, you know, how to be famous one day, which isn't, I, I don't stand by that blueprint as something that anyone should do, but like the thought is you know, like, but it's a motivator. Right. But like, and is a YouTube channel the, I need to go to New York City and take a level one right. improv class now. Exactly. So it seems to be, from what I've seen, it, that seems to be going on at the moment. And I'm wondering uh, how that's going to change things. But I, I agree with you. Like c- the community, the physicality of being on a stage and working one's self, um, both as a performer and just getting to know yourself, I think is invaluable. But that's the same thing that people would say about theater before. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not like old man deriding whatever it is. It's just intriguing to see that there are some shifts going on right now. To go back to to Westworld a little bit, I I would talk about improv. I if this was only just for me and and no one else was listening to this, I would like to talk to you about improv for forever. It's my favorite thing. But uh, uh, going back to Westworld, so let's see. So I guess we'll talk about your just actual character for a moment. A random question about Westworld. Got it. And then we'll talk about the world of Westworld. Cool. Um. So Felix and Sylvester. When I were not when I when I was watching the season two trailer, I, I was looking for them specifically because no one had no one had said whether or not uh, those two characters were coming back. They weren't in the trailer, so uh, I guess is, is it interesting to be even for a short period of time a part of like a real world actual mystery. Uh, in terms of those two characters or what? R- uh... Right. Like, I mean, you, I mean... <laughs> you know whether or not you're obviously because you're doing the work, but the audience does well, not. Well, the real world mystery is I, you know, I don't know that as a human being and none of us do. Uh, you know, the relationship to the show is kind of the unknown. So we didn't know if we were coming back. Right. I did know that I loved it um, and that I desperately thought it was like a fantastic show and really wanted to be a part of it. You know, all that stuff, which isn't hard to guess because it's amazing. But I didn't, you know, didn't know what was going to happen. So that's a that is a real life mystery. Um, And and basically, I'm still in that mystery now. I'm more comfortable in it because I've gone through it once. Like, you know, we have to be careful here. And I know we're supposed to be talking about Westworld, but I will talk to you about life is that like 
Um, it's very, this is an interesting heat, this show. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, like the show itself doesn't have a huge ego, which I think is wonderful, but the potential of having this show is a lot. So as an actor in the world, uh, I could, I could be done with this show forever. I could have never gotten this show. I could continue on this show. And each of those life paths seem to affect everything about me. You know, it's like when you allow something outside of you to define yourself so much, you start to get this anxiety about, you know, oh, I hope the outside world gives me this thing. And Westworld, as you can imagine, is massive for that. Right. So when you talk about the mystery of, you know, coming back or not coming back between uh, season one or two. Yeah, there's that anxiety of like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I don't know any of this. So, yeah, you you experience that. And I've uh, it's real. You know, it's like it's almost life defining and then it becomes life defining and how much yeah, that probably shouldn't be life defining. Like I, and this is where family becomes vitally important. And if not family, you must know yourself. You must have things that are outside of this industry or whatever the thing is so that you bring that to the work because otherwise you're just bringing desperation. Desperation is something that people can smell on you. They can see it on you and it's not, it doesn't, it's not a way to live. So in terms of the mystery, personally, um, I really love this show. As you can tell, I love talking about it. Um, but I do try to release from the mystery of, you know, whether or not you're on it or whatever. I try to define myself like elsewise, elsewhere in my life. And that's simply to survive. Um, I do wish externally there was more of a mystery where there's missing posters and being like, oh, we demand <laughs> Sylvester back. You know, like that's what I'm hoping for. Well, that's what uh, I was. Do- that's that was my feeling as I was watching the trailer. Like you, they can't not have them. They why are they not here? Where are they? Where are they hiding these people? Is that true? Yeah, well, that's how I felt because, or just because you knew you were going to interview me, or you really actually thought no, about the character. I watched the trailer prior to knowing I was going to interview you. So, oh, wow. like, yeah, like I, I because I love, uh, I love Felix to death. He always to me is like a little Arnold. Like he's he's like on the on the come up of 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 understanding why Arnold did all the things he did, and even while he has a dude next to him, he's going like, "What are you? What are you? Why are you?" He's having that happen to him, yeah. and even when you you were right next to Felix when you were like, "Okay, she's under Bricker," and he was like, "Totally, totally going to do that," and then he didn't do it, which is so confounding. Like the I recall the audience being like, "What are they? How are they not? Uh, like how is how did Felix not take that good advice?" But to Felix, it wasn't good advice. To Felix, it was like, "No, I'm." I'm on a journey. This is my new little bird, and yeah, I'm figuring it I can't out. Kill the future, right? Exactly. In, um, in a way, yeah, it's intriguing. I think that you know, in a Shakespearean level, uh, especially for season one, it was very um, the way we we talk about it is kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern feel, where there's a massive narrative going on above them, and then these guys are like dumbed down versions of the same thing, like going through their own like they're not. They're not the smartest people, especially when you have these like kind of gods of intellect running around. Uh, but they you can almost get to the core uh, almost easier seeing it from their vantage point. Oh, yeah. And some of that. And that's what I like about both um, Sylvester and Lutz is that Lutz has like that Arnold a- appeal. 
And then Sylvester has the very common sense of like, what the fuck are you doing? He felt like me. Uh, he felt like he yeah. was me. And almost like, it, and it turns out not to be very Ford-ish, but almost like the diametrically opposed argument of like, these are iPhones. Like you're falling in love with an iPhone because you've got you've got human issues. Right. Um, and so I think it, I, I loved that about it. I thought it was really interesting. And, and that conversation's happening on multiple, in multiple storylines. Logan and William are having that same exact conversation yeah. as well yeah. as, you know, you see Arnold and Ford's version of it 30 years ago as well as. Right. So it's like, it's the show works parallel. Cause I think there are three tiers, the, the biggest tier of the gods of this show. And then you think about the gods above them who are maybe even theoretically real gods out in the world. But the gods of this park are struggling with this. The people that uh, ultimately buy this park or whatever that is, the the William and the the money people. Right. And then the people that are kind of the slaves underneath all of this, all struggling with the same concepts. So when you you got to watch season one and you got to see yourself perform and I and I heard you mention in the past, like you didn't know when you were doing it that Sylvester would sometimes come off like a dick, which to me, yeah. I didn't think he was. I like I thought he was a voice of reason most of the time. And then James was like, you know why you think that? Because sometimes you're a dick. And I was like, <laughs> oh, OK, I do get that now a little bit. But still, I think he was still the the guy saying the the things that were true but did, yeah did watch well, what i say about it what i say about I'm, I'm just surprised because while i'm performing as an actor i'm thinking to myself oh yeah this is coming off as like charming asshole <laughs> and then when i watch and some of it is what they choose like they are crafting it they and they have a, they know more than i do and that's why i like watching this show it's fascinating because so much it's a totally different show when you watch it than when you read it and it's a totally different show than when you uh this is with a quote that i gave to hollywood reporter that i'm nervous about but i haven't gotten a call from anyone at, at oh. westworld complaining Fingers crossed. but th uh, by the time you watch it it's it's a kind of a third show because what they choose in the edit and how they shape it really becomes uh, it be it defines the tone and sylvester was a real asshole and i was like what i don't know i disagree wholeheartedly <laughs> but that's okay D did watching yourself in the first season inform anything you did i guess acting wise in the second season or did you yeah. have to push that out or in that element of it i got a better sense of what they were looking for from uh sylvester and i got a better sense of what the show itself was because i loved I loved the first season not knowing anything, uh, not knowing anything that was going to happen, not really even knowing the tone of the show. And so, uh, you know, it's very different the second time. Because right, I could imagine you watching the show and going at one point, like not knowing the rest of the show, going like, oh, I'm living a thing that like multiple characters are living. I am. I thought I was in a vacuum, but I'm really not like this. Definitely. This is all happening to all of these people. And, and, and I'm just one of them taking it the way that yeah. Sylvester and things was. That, things that I was not wrong about, and this is why they, they do the show the way they do, is that show felt way bigger than I could even conceive of. Uh, turns out that's accurate. Right. Um, and that character was way, uh, way over his head. 
in a way that he wasn't even sure of, but kind of got a sense of totally accurate, you know, and I didn't, I could only play that in the sense that it was actually real. I didn't know the extent to which I had no idea what was going on, but it's still, that's exactly the same way. So some of those things are real and some of the, um, you know, it's not funny. These guys aren't funny, but to put someone that is reacting with reality in a scenario like that, it is the comedy does come out of that. And so, I feel like their whole purpose is to it's not even adding levity. It is adding like, OK, so this thing is all happening up on this screen. And it's like it, this world is wild. And then you at least want somebody being like, the fuck is going yeah, on? right. You know, like because it's true. If you step back and think about it, shit's crazy. Oh, yeah. So that's and it's not even that what I said is funny, kind of, but it's it's only funny in context. And so that relationship to humor, I still think is our role to some extent is to, to perceive it as a real thing. I don't think Westworld gets enough credit for how funny it actually is. And I'll tell you my personal, I think the funniest scene in the first season, and this is up to interpretation for anyone who watches it, but my favorite funny scene in the first season is when those two techs, one of the tech is uh, who are not Felix and, and Sylvester are, uh, trying, is one's trying to sexually abuse Hector and behind him, behind a pane of glass is, is Armistice kicking the crap out of the other guy who probably didn't deserve it. Uh, I, I absolutely loved that scene. Just the silence and the mean man being, being mean to Hector and then, and then. <laughs> it's such a dark relationship to comedy. I know. Isn't. Yeah, but I so loved funny. it. And the, actually, my second, I was telling this to James at some point, my second favorite thing was not a scene, but a moment. And it was one of yours. And I'm not trying to pander to you. I swear to God. It was, I can't remember if it was like the ninth or tenth episode. There was a moment where a thing is like flying at you slowly. And then you move out of the way. And you're like, fuck. You're like, get the fuck out of here. I I died. I loved that so much. Wow. Um, uh, well, this brings up. I mean, and, you know, we're almost done with this podcast based on your timing. But let's uh, this brings up two elements of the things we've talked about together. Uh, this show is is very intricately written and you are word perfect on this show. In fact, the entire first season, every single sentence, every moment that I said was fully scripted, even though I'm an improviser. Right. And I believe that improv is not in the dialogue. It's in the performance. Right. So I don't actually care that it's word perfect. I think it's better. I still improvise. I'm improvising the entire time. I'm just not improvising the dialogue whatsoever. Except I got one line of improv in the entire first season. The whole time. It was the last day that I shot. Uh, and Jonah was there. He was he was directing the last one. And so we kind of like. I kind of like snuck it in. It was basically a reaction. Hey, yeah, it was my very last day on the first season. And um, and so it was this moment uh, where I'm putting this in and the arm swings at me. And I asked him if I could say if I if it was OK to say something at the arm. And so at the arm, I actually say the line, fuck you, like to yeah, the arm. Right. Because it's like a, I'm actually yelling at robots. Yeah. You know, like that's my whole thing is like, fuck all of you. Fuck all of this. Uh, and that's my one improvised line in all of season one, and you happen to pick it out. Oh, well, I liked it. Also, you, did anyone else have an improv? Did you have the only unscripted two words in the no, whole season? I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff, but... I'm going to say you, you did. Know. I'm going to say you did. 
<laughs> I don't know. I didn't see anything else. I didn't even read that's, the script. That's a good so point. I no way of knowing. That's a good point. You've re- uh, you've recently told me that, and I completely forgot it immediately. But yeah, but I got one. I got one. Fuck you. Improvised in the whole season, and if and that was it. If nothing else, just yeah. chop it up. Just check that off right there. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I gave you a time frame that I thought was that just for your sake. I, I I would keep talking forever. I just you have like a family and things, so I'm not going to keep you from doing anything you you have to do. But yeah. Uh, but uh, let's talk again after the uh, after the season is going. I think there's a lot more uh, life stuff to talk about that I think this season is interesting for. Um, I'm pretty passionate about this show for the truths that are at the bottom of it, you know, like, uh, so I'm excited about talking about that stuff. Uh, so let's get into the season or maybe at the end of the season and then, uh, talk about what we thought. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I haven't even asked you any of my burn notice questions, so th- we'll have to get into that one oh, as man. well. I, I, I love, yeah. I love that stupid show. Bruce Campbell, man. Yeah. I, he's like, he's like a living legend. Uh, I, the first literally. Okay. So you messaged me, said yes. About three minutes after that, because I went to IMDb, was scrolling, and the first thing I, I burn note, I was watching burn notice within three minutes of you saying yes. Yeah, and I went back. I'm, uh, I, I, it was during maybe I, it was during Anson's. I, okay, I don't know. I don't. I, maybe I can't dive into burn notice right now. But uh, I, I didn't remember you being in it, and then I was like, oh, I love this episode. It's during the Anson storyline. Yeah, and you get to be in a big yellow boat. And oh man, that was so much fun. Yeah, that it was like a uh, tour of different like uh, 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 action tropes that you can go through, uh, and we shot that all in like four days. They have <laughs> they the sides, so you get sides for like what you're shooting today, and literally, oftentimes on that show, the sides would be like most of the script. <laughs> like they had to shoot so many, they had no time. They had to shoot everything. Uh, there's a there's a dude um, that created that show, Matt Nix. Yep. And Matt Nix is like is a he's prolific writer, but he is so damn funny. I think what you respond in that show, it seems like there's a core of at the heart of it all is like it's like a dark, hilarious uh, mind. Mm -hmm. But man, that dude, Matt Nix is so funny and he's so irreverent and he's so good at like bits, like improv style bits. Like he is one of the funniest people I have ever met. And he his. Uh, his uh, humor is at the core of that show, and that, that's what makes that show work. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I'm getting to talk to somebody about Burn Notice. I haven't talked about anybody about Burn Notice for like 10... Even my own friends don't want to talk to me about Burn Notice, and I want to talk about Burn yeah, Notice all the time. Yeah, like a show. That dude deserves your respect. He's he's a true comedy genius. Uh, absolutely. And that show... Because there were actually there was a moment in that episode that reminded me of Sylvester when... Michael is driving a forklift and then crashes it into a car. And then your character, your character Oswald responds in a way that I think, and it was because it's like the same thing of like, that is what a normal person would do if they saw an insane thing like that happen. You responded and I'm like, what? How did you do one? How did you do that? Two, that was insane. Three, cannot. What? And then you had to get in a car and get out of there. I. <laughs> <laughs> That, and then you had a great bit they of... They are kind of similar. You had a gr- uh, great bit of dialogue Sylvester at the end, and, too. Sylvester and uh, Oswald are kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, you almost spoke to this, but I do love that. I love that shit. I love the, exactly that. And maybe it just feels... I love dying. Uh-huh. I this is a 
this is a bad thing to do as an actor, but I love dying. Uh-huh. I love getting screwed over. I love being like knocked down. I love all the physical stuff. So uh, I don't know why. I maybe people other people outside of me just see uh, that I either deserve it or that I love it, and that uh, this is the kind of shit that I keep playing. But man, it's I really enjoy it. I've watched you get your throat slit multiple multiple times on I know, I on it. multiple shows. I, I don't understand. And, it's like my dream, and I'm getting to do it. <laughs> and to, like, varying degrees of death. Yeah, I love it. It's really interesting. And I got to do the best ever on Westworld Season 1, in which I die and also don't die. Because of, like, a Star Trek thing. You got Star trek back to life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got to say, this season, I've only seen the first episode, obviously, so far but it's dark as shit and it's real good so uh i'm excited for it so i think i don't know because you never know i don't know as as like as a fan also i'm like oh i hope they i hope it's good it's so it's so dark in a real way not in this like oh it's so good i think i don't know i'm excited for the rest i don't i don't know everything that's going to happen but i can tell you some of the greatest things that have gone in my eyeballs (laughs) are from this season uh, James and I are are equally as excited. He's asleep in Japan right now, but he's I, I I could speak for him. He is excited. I'm going to Japan also because of this season. Really? Oh so. well, actually that makes sense due to the Shogun worldness of it. That's oh, fucking amazing. I, and oh. it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll have to tell him. I don't know. I, I don't know. If... It's so good what they what they do. It's so good. Well, I, I will tell James you're coming to Japan. He'll be excited about. It. He wants me to come to Japan, and I'm like, I'll come, I'll come eventually. Uh, I'm probably not going to visit him in Japan, but I'm, I'm, I've, uh, I've already I'm very te- excited for Japan. I already texted him. Um, cool, man. Well, thanks for talking. Let's talk again after the season or at some other point. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying yes and being on. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, man. Let's do it again. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so yeah, that was Ptolemy Slocum. Uh, I loved talking to that guy. That was so fun. And I can speak for James at the same time. We're like, thank you so much again, Ptolemy, for being on. I hope everybody enjoyed listening to some both wise words about life, love, and Westworld. And I, I, I think I speak for us all when I say that we're really, really excited for season two and excited. He said he would come back. That's so nice. That's crazy nice of him. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you can, go like us on iTunes. All of our comments on... Most of our comments are from 2016 and are very negative. If you could leave some positive ones, that would be great. Uh, You can also listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, the iTunes, as I've mentioned in the past. You can go find us at Westworld Ryan on Twitter. And you can go email us at uh, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening. I had a blast. And I hope you guys did too. Make sure to come back and join us in only a few days. Westworld Season 2 premiere is on Sunday. We'll be with you on Monday to talk about it. This is all very exciting. Okay, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.